another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 8, which is titled Nine and a Half Hours. The episode aired on Thursday, November 10th, 1994. Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago? Well, again, our top movie of the week is Stargate. And to no surprise to anyone at this point, the top song is still I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. I'm how not apt. Sure. I was going to say, I'm not sure how thematically relevant or off-putting this is for this episode. We'll get into that. Um, and then I also discovered that this day specifically, Green Day was playing a gig in Chicago touring for Dookie, which was exciting because they're my favorite band and I love them. That's all I've got for today. Not too much going on that I could find. This episode was directed by James Heyman and written by Robert Nathan. I uh, did a little research on Mr. James Heyman. This was, he did three episodes of this show. Another one of those people where he just sort of goes and does a few episodes here, a few episodes there. But like more than like, more than like one or two, he does like three, five, ten. He's done, and most recently he's done 16 episodes of NCIS New Orleans. Oh man, that's my favorite one. I've never seen a single second outside of the memes of that entire TV series and its offshoots. The original's not too bad. Uh, Mr. Heyman tends to do a lot more on the production side of things. He has served as the executive producer for, besides the aforementioned NCIS, New Orleans. He's also executive produced on Ugly Betty, Judging Amy, and Joan of Arcadia. And the only reason I know that last one is because my mom loved that show. I fucking love Judging Amy. (laughs) My sister and I would watch it all the time after school. It's my shit. Put my mom down uh, in the Joan of Arcadia Club to shout out to Margie. That that was her jam back in like, what, 2004 or five, whenever that show was on. And yeah, so I checked out the viewership numbers too. I don't remember if we mentioned it last episode or not, but last episode took a little dip. They were down in, I mean, a little dip being they went down to only 25.7 million viewers. I mean, only. <laughs> canceled the fucking show already but they went right back to form this week shooting back up to 28.3 million viewers um i think yeah i think they're gonna take a little bit of a hit next week with it being i'm pretty sure we're coming up on thanksgiving or i think they might take a break for thanksgiving but either way i think there's a little dip coming up but they recover pretty quickly after that so i mean we are still in like of course, you know, this is season one. We're still in the prime years of this show. So it's it's still shocking to me every time I look at these numbers, like 28.3 million people watching one thing at the same time every single week on average. That's just crazy. Yeah, not just once a year this year, like these days with like the Super Bowl or something like that, but just at once. That, that kind of is just fucking mind-blowing. Like, I think Game of Thrones at its peak was getting, what, maybe 12 million? Yeah, something like that. Certainly nowhere near these numbers. This is this is insane to, to think about. But again, it's a different time, a different culture. You know, there's not as many options as there are nowadays. Nowhere close. Wait, you mean society advances and the way we consume entertainment changes? What? No. Just no? Just no. All right, cool. Everything stays the same forever. Have fun in 1994. Okay, uh, boomer. Oh. <laughs> How topical, Daniel. <laughs> God damn it. Lizzie, take us into the episode. So yeah, just before we dig into this episode, like for the like the actual like recap portion, I just gotta say up front, this is a fucking weird one. Like, this is just so fucking all over the place and 
I would like to put in a uh, little content warning here because one of the main storylines does revolve around sexual assault. So if, you know, different to uh, topics around that and talking about that makes you uncomfortable, maybe this isn't the episode for you. Feel free to give our other ones another listen and we'll see you next time then. Um, but just so just so you folks know. We might have a candidate for knocking off episode two for the biggest mess of the show so far. Like, I feel like this one might be my new, like, bottom of the barrel. I would agree with that. Yeah, this is easily my least favorite one so far. So, like, episode two was at least trying to, like, set up some stuff and, like, do a little bit of world building. This is just, like, what? There's a couple things that happen for moving story-long arcs along, but they could have been done in so much better ways, and this is just a mess. Still fine TV, like, on the whole, but as far as ER goes and the high bar it sets, it's fine. <laughs> I wouldn't let's even dig it into up. it fine all right but yeah let's talk about yeah. it guys yeah all right but digging into the actual episode itself uh we open with dr benton digging through the most disgusting looking fridge i have ever seen in my entire life and why would you put a salad in that thing man jesus christ use the third floor one just run upstairs to get your lunch i'm sure it's got to be better than that one horrific is the only word to describe that fridge it's disgusting yeah and I thought my fridge at my job was bad, and then I saw that, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, at least there's nothing, like, probably living in our fridge at work. <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, Susan, we uh, said Susan's also in the room, and she has a busted car. Uh, do you remember which part? We forgot to write down which part was broken. I did not, know. Uh, it's her uh, ignition switch or her starter or something. Like, It's something that Chloe has broken. Chloe burned out her ignitions starters car mechanics you know shit manly shit that i know nothing about you're not the only one in this group that doesn't know know a damn thing about cars i don't even have a license yeah i know how to drive them i know that you get your oil changed every few thousand miles or so that's about it so chloe fucked up her car and susan's like oh you know i had to hotwire it to get into work today and carter's like what the wait what and hard she, eyes yeah and she's like and susan was just all like oh yeah i learned it from one of chloe's boyfriends who's now in prison for grand theft auto what a surprise <laughs> hey and did we notice carter's middle part is gone only like, physically i think spiritually the middle part is still there we're gonna get to that and i have a i have a counterpoint to that when we get to I, it but and then we quick flash over to Div going up to Jerry at the desk and yelling at him for calling him down when the patient that he called for doesn't have a chart. He's like, you're wasting my time. And Jerry's like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I'll find it for you. And Div's like, don't apologize. Just do your damn job. Mm, he is, like, this is probably the worst he's been thus far. Oh, like, yeah. He's, he, I actually was wondering as I was watching the episode, I was like, is this the one where he fully cracks? Like, is he fully done after this? But no, we he's still hanging on, but he is hanging on by a thread. He's a little Fabergé egg of emotions over there. But yep, and then we flip over to the other part of the nursing desk where we see Doug handed a huge stack of charts. And Benton walks over and goes, who died and left you, chief resident? As Doug's trying to fill out forms and looking absolutely lost and confused. And Doug says Mark had the flu and had to call in. And Benton's like, what? St. Mark? That must be bad. 
So we find out Mark's taking the rare day off work. And yeah. he must be really sick to not be in the office. And poor Doug has no idea how to do his job. Quote, unquote, sick. Uh, <laughs> and then before we cut over to the Mark being sick, we have uh, Langworthy just shows up for a minute. And Hale asks if she's excited about the news about the Starzl Fellowship being announced today. And... Yeah, they sort of brush it off and move past it really quickly. But then, oh boy, we get into uh, some... Prime time. Yeah, some prime time, 9 p.m. side boob content. Uh, <laughs> tasteful, yeah. tasteful side boob. Sure. Yeah, but uh, Mark and Jen are very much getting busy in probably the most sexual content you can get away with on a network television show in 1994. Right? Uh, it's obscene. Oh, it's crazy. Like, I don't watch Grey's Anatomy. I've never watched Grey's Anatomy, but I know that's a more, like, romance-oriented show uh, that just happens to take place in a hospital. I'm genuinely curious. Like, do they push the boundary to this degree at any point? Because, like, this seems like a scene and a, a, a plot line that would fit much better in a show like that. And I don't even think they push it this far. If I recall, there may be one or two episodes here. I've I've seen it on the background when my sister watched it when I was still living at home. And I think maybe once or twice they do because it was, you know, more modern TV and they could get away with it a little better. Which that's that's kind of what I'm shooting at here. I mean, like that's a show that's got, you know, 10 years of loosening the standards of TV and what we can get away with. And, you know, it seems like if they're going to push it, it would fit much better in like a 2005 and after type of world. But like... 1994 this is like come on guys like as america has further shed its morals for the shedding of clothes yeah i'm just Uh. you know but yeah yeah. i think i think it's much more common in uh dramas today like Grey's anatomy yeah but uh doug is obviously getting buried and he tries to call mark to see if he can potentially come in and then uh, the phone rings and jen accidentally pulls the phone off the hook and doug just hears them fucking and isn't it, like, with her foot or something? Yeah, or something like that. Or I think she might have, like, reached for it, but, like, the only pulled a little bit of the cord. Because Mark's like, nope. Yeah. Well, and then his head pops out from the bottom of the bed. Like, I, they're, it, it's just real Some, weird. Yeah, it's. It's real weird. And it and it only gets weirder, so. Yeah. And again, uh, like I mentioned just a couple minutes ago, if you do have a problem with descriptions of sexual assault and talk about that sort of thing, from here on out, we will be. We, we are introduced to the character that Warning is relating to. So, please. We love you, but this may not be the episode for you. Take care of yourself first. Yeah. Um, and with that noted, uh, we get into Carol's patient for the episode, which is nice to see Carol sort of getting her own little not-Doug-centric storyline. Yay! Um, but it comes in the form of, you know, going from Mark and Jen having loving, playful sex to... This. Oh, Carol Carol gets to take care of a victim of sexual assault. Like, just hard 180. Pivot. The hardest of hard pivots. And Carol's talking with the uh, police officer that brought her in. Like, you know, she called the police and they brought. Uh, she was over in Bridgeport, which is near Midway Airport. Sort of, like, a little bit northwest of there. But in the beginning of the southwest side. Like, right down the street from Comiskey Park. Excuse me. The I don't even know what it's called anymore. I think it's called the uh, Guarantee Rate Field or something like that. Anyway. Where the Sox play. Yeah, where the Chicago White Sox play. Go Cubs. Oh, I've been there. I know exactly where that is. 
Good uh, job, Daniel. Yeah, but she's talking with the uh, Carol's talking with the police officer, and you know, the guy's like, "Okay, are you certified, or do we need to call in a counselor?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm certified." Has she said anything? And the cop just says, "Yeah, just not to touch her." Yeah, so we find out that the patient's name is Jamie. Which, quick note on her, the actress's name, who, by the way, I mean, as like upsetting and traumatic as this whole plot thread is in this episode she does a a tremendous job and i mean we're gonna highlight that kind of as we go along but like it's an upsetting character and it's an upsetting situation that she's faced with but the actress does an amazing job with it i think i would agree but the actress's name is bridget branagh she's most known for a show called army wives whatever the fuck that is i can tell you what that is oh thank god what is it so, Aaron, I'm sorry I'm calling out all of your TV tastes from this era. It was a show, in, I believe in the early aughts, late aughts, where um, it was a TV drama about wives on an army base. Army wives. Man, how appropriately named. Quite. Well, she appears in 87 episodes of that, so I'm thinking she must be... Yep, she's, she's one of the main characters. Dang, I was going to say she was the Jerry of Army Wives. I have no context for whether or not that's true, <laughs> but, you know. That would be that a man would be an can dream. heritage. A man can dream. Um, so, yeah, Carol, you know, Carol is so good with her. I mean, and that's a theme that kind of continues throughout this episode. And, I mean, just in general, Carol is, is an amazing nurse and, a, and an incredibly compassionate person. But she, you know, kind of gently takes her coat away from her, knowing that she's going to be kind of hypersensitive and just not, wanting to be touched and you know it's it's a sensitive situation for her we get a little bit of insight into what it is exactly happened to jamie she's kind of just speaking stream of consciousness like she's not really like taking the time to let carol know who the principal people are in the story she's just saying names it's almost like she's assuming carol should know who all these people are Um, because she kind of just starts talking she says todd knows my boyfriend he said jack told him to pick me up Uh, i shouldn't have gone with him i should have stayed home he was a friend of Jack's. I let it happen. It's all my fault. Kind of all that standard, like, self-blaming and just, like, it's – she's just so, so good in this episode. And, and uh, you know, Carol says, you know, tells her it's going to be okay. You're safe here, you know. And she just comes back with the most heartbreaking just, is it? Is it going to be okay? Like, ugh. One of the many times that we get our heart ripped out in this episode. And then from there, we go bang, bang right into the episode – the t- the tinkles do not exist. You don't know anything. I'm going to be such a smug asshole the first time we get the tinkle again, but now is not the time for that. That's fine. It's just like our belts versus suspenders war. I will win. <laughs> that has many battles to come, I imagine, yes. with this with this TV series but as I- we move through the fashion of the mid to late 90s. But as of right now, we are into episode 8. Yeah. And there six are no to tinkles. one. Six to one. No, there's one. There's been one. There's, there's an yeah. introductory tinkle, but there has been one. <laughs> introductory tinkles. An introductory tinkle. <laughs> we all have Warren, that first thing I in love the morning, you. don't we? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a little pee humor to alleviate how awful this episode's gonna be. Anywho. After the intro, we have Susan giving Div shit for yelling at Jerry, and rightly so, because Jerry's Jerry's a gem. Team Jerry. And she was like, this morning he was the cashier at Starbucks, which actually, that line alone just was like, wait, was Starbucks even... Time has no meaning for me. It so was, was like, like 92. So I was like, wait, 1994 Starbucks is national? Okay, cool. Awesome. I don't remember their... 
maybe it was just my smaller suburban Chicago town that I grew up in, but I was like, we, we, the first time I ever saw one was when we moved in 2001. <laughs> I mean, it was founded in 1971. Okay, that's fair. But I guess it just, it just feels really weird that like it's already ubiquitous enough to be worked into a line of a major TV show and people would just be like, oh, I know what that is. Again, time has no meaning and I don't re- well, really. Here, here's a good statistic for you to bring it into focus. The company opened an average of two new locations daily between 1987 and 2007. Jesus. Holy shit. That's so, crazy. Yeah, they were probably in Chicago by 94. Okay. All right. We probably didn't have 12 of them on every other street corner like we do now, but fair. they were around. Yeah. But yeah, throughout all this, Div is just clearly fucked up and more with with something. And he's just super agitated. And fidgety. Yeah, fidgety. And like Daniel said, like his breakdown has to be coming soon. I did think it was this episode as well. It's got to be in the next couple episodes, I swear. I think yeah. my vote was for 11. I think so. I think, yeah, I think, didn't we do 10, 11, 12? Like, yeah, somewhere I, in there. I think we did, I think we did 9, 10, 11. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, so it's got to be coming soon. And I mean, I was shocked at how much older he looked here just from one episode to the next. Like, he's always looked like an older, you know, especially when contrasted with Susan, he looks older. But like, here he just looks more tired. Like, he looks old here. It's not that he looks older than her, he just looks old. And I don't know. It's just uh, I, at, at the same time, like at, at simultaneously, like I, I'm ready for him to be gone. But at the same time, I do feel bad for, you know, the like brick wall that this character is heading towards. Yes, very much. So then we get Susan getting a phone call at the clerk station and she finds out the mechanic can't bring the part for her car after all. And she's just, God damn it. Carter overhears and he's like, hey, uh, you know. I know a guy that could make that happen. All you'd have to do is exchange to get me up into the OR. And Susan's just like, no, you gotta, you gotta ask for that. And Carter's pissed because he's, he still hasn't gotten into the OR when he's technically a surgical student. And we we're eight episodes in and we still haven't seen him set foot up in a surgical suite. Oh yeah. That's going to be a huge deal when he finally gets up there. I remember like, it's also a hilarious moment because he fucks it up right away. (laughs) But that's for a later time. It's one of my favorite Carter moments. But yeah, so she's just like, no, you got to ask. You can't just assume that you'll be taken up. You got to push for it. Push for what you want. Yeah. And then we get our first uh, trauma of the episode. Uh, We have a 17-year-old with just a really weird heart rhythm. I think it's an arrhythmia. That's what it builds to. Okay, that's what it builds to. But Benton and Carter pick up the trauma when it initially comes in. And then Benton, in true Benton fashion, just yells back towards Susan. Hey, Susan, Susan, we're going to need a uh, pill pusher over here. This guy doesn't look surgical. How did I miss that? Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's totally... Yeah, or something or something that too. We don't forget to write down the exact quote. But, But yeah, they just have absolutely no clue what's wrong with him. And... His heart rate is just all over the place, and we will come back to it shortly. After that, it just goes right back to <laughs> Doug just being so fucking overwhelmed. Doug, Doug is actually, I feel like this is some sort of like karma for Doug in this episode, just from how shitty he's been with Carol over the last seven episodes prior to this. I, I love the running gag of they really need that shift report. What the hell is a shift <laughs> report, and how do I fill it out? Yeah. Like, 
he gets asked about this like seven times throughout the episode and every time there's something on the form that he's like what does this mean yeah it's weird weirdly the most likable that doug has been in any of the episodes so far like it's like when you keep him occupied and keep him in this little box where he can't fuck with carol he's quite charming and quite likable and it's it's refreshing he's like a puppy yeah keep him in the pen and he's fine he's honestly the best part about this episode like he is the consistently the most funny he's consistently the most like you're like i found myself more interested in what he was doing and like his like struggle to keep up and his like exasperation with the whole thing i found that the most interesting thing to keep following with because i got bored and annoyed with jennifer and mark very quickly and the carol storyline while impactful and profound is also incredibly upsetting so it's like you're grasping at straws to try to find stuff to enjoy in this episode well there was also a little bit of growth for him i think it's this interaction or the next one where at one point he i forgot to write down when this happens exactly but he's like how does mark get this all done and i believe it's jerry who's like he stays four hours after yeah. his shift like he doesn't go home yeah further illustrating that mark is just an absolute fucking machine and just like your shift's already 12 <laughs> hours <laughs> you said fucking non- machine. non-sexual machine <laughs> i hate you all this podcast is canceled have a nice day everyone thank you very much any patreon dollars will be refunded <laughs> Just kidding. We're going to keep doing this because we're all idiots. Clearly, we enjoy it. Yeah. I forgot what I was saying now. <laughs> he's a fucking he's a fucking machine. He oh, puts yeah. in the work. No, but like when you think about it, like the shifts there are on are already 12 hours. So he's just being there for 16 hours. Like no wonder Jen is like, I never see you even before she moved to Milwaukee. I think that that's a good bit of contextualization for just how much mark works yes so we go we go back in and we see Halle yelling at mookie the young gentleman from the previous episode who tried to break out of his handcuffs with carter's ekg caliper and she's yelling at him because he's late to the city kids job volunteering gig that she got him and she's like you're an idiot this is a job j-o-b means you get here on time He's like, well, they wouldn't let me in. And she's like, well, that means you just get here earlier then, dumbass. <laughs> she doesn't actually call him a dumbass, but like, that's the tone she takes with him. She's like, you're an idiot. I just love the tone she takes with him entirely overall. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just like the like sassy mom yep. voice that she goes into. Like, and, like she switches immediately from warm nurse. Be- to, oh, oh, hell no. Yeah, exactly. She full names him too. Like, she's like, Mookie James. Like oh it's so good and i love too that when she starts giving him shit his initial like instinct is to like reach his arm and like put it around her shoulders like it's okay like you don't have to yell at me like they never really like dig into what the nature of their relationship is at least not that i can recall maybe they do in future episodes but till this point they haven't really illustrated how and to what degree Hele knows Mookie. But like, you can just tell there's that level of familiarity there where she has known him since he was a little kid and he knows exactly how to like play to her good side that even when she's mad at him, he can be like, nah, I'm still Mookie. Like, I'm still your, I'm still your favorite. Like, he's like, I don't know. I just, I love their relationship. I think it's fun. I'm not Slice, I'm Mookie. Right, yeah, he's just, it's fun. I think he's related to her in some way, like a nephew or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'll be interested to see if they flesh that out any further. But then after that, we cut back to the trauma with Benton Carter and Lewis, and none of them have any idea what the hell is going on with this kid. And Carter fucking whips out the pocket manual to differential diagnoses, 
and is reading possibilities from it in while they're in the middle of a trauma he's just sitting there with his arm just draped over the the crash cart yeah just with his arm draped over the crash cart and it's just like oh it could be this oh it could be that and ben just like put that uh, put that damn thing away <laughs> his line read there is perfect the line read is it's so good to put it. that damn book down like it's just so mm, the punch he punches good and I just, I love it because I'm like, this is why I was saying this, the spiritual middle part is still very much there is because this is so still a baby Carter move. Okay. And I have a counterpoint to that because this was an episode that I got to watch with Nurse Jen. So no, not Mark's Jen, but <laughs> my Jen. Oh. Nurse Yay. Nurse Jen uh, and I watched this episode together and she actually had quite a few thoughts about this particular trauma. First, she kind of was critiquing some of their thought processes and what they were doing, but Basically, the, the gist of it was she said they stuck the landing. Like she, the whole time she was watching it, she was like, "Why the?" She's like, "Why the fuck are they doing it like this? Like they're doing this stuff all out of order." Like she had big problems with, especially how Benton was going about it. But they brought it back together and they they stuck the landing. So she was satisfied with that. And I brought up the Carter thing. I was like, "Look at this idiot in the corner, like flipping through his textbook, like that." Like you said, that's a total baby Carter move. And she corrected me. She said she wasn't sure how common that would have been 25 years ago. She said, but now there's a very like all hands on deck and all opinions are valued type of approach to trauma now. Like anybody, anybody and everybody who's in the room, whether they're actively involved in the trauma or not, their opinion is like a good. Now, she said, of course, all doctors approach it differently, but she said any doctor who's, you know, worth his salt is going to say, you know, anybody got any ideas here? Like, and that could mean another doctor in the room, a nurse, a tech. Like, it doesn't matter where you are in the hierarchy. If you're in the room and they don't know what the cause of the trauma is or they don't know what it is they're trying to fix, then any and all options are on the table. So there would absolutely be a doctor or a nurse or a tech uh, in the corner of the room flipping through a differential diagnosis book trying to piece something together so they can at least get some kind of idea what it is the the problem is with this kid so i thought that was cool that you know granted it might be kind of a you know after the fact retcon here that might not have been the case in 1994 but at least now that actually would be something you might actually see in a trauma well many thanks to nurse jen for <laughs> for, for setting us, us straight badass opinion for setting me straight putting me in my place tell her hi the other thing in this trauma that we see uh, is we get a first. We get a first appearance in this trauma. Nurse Lily Jarvik, who I don't think is ever referred to by a full name in the entire run of the show. I think if she's ever referred to by name, it's just Nurse Lily or just Lily. But she's Asian nurse. Oh, her. Yeah, okay. this is the first time she appears and she is a lifer from here on out. She is here through pretty much the rest of the run of the show. So we get her, she's part of the, you know, oh. uh, well, I guess Lydia, Lydia goes away after a while, but Hale, she's like part of the Hale and Chuni and like that group of nurses that sticks around pretty much forever. Oh, awesome. I, I don't know how I didn't notice that. Does she actually have like a speaking line? Or she like... brings in like a test result or something like his potassium is all fucked up okay. and uh, Benton, uh, okay. Benton and Lewis kind of talk briefly with her about those numbers um so i mean she and she's never a particularly significant character like she's never somebody that i think they explore like backstory or even like little side stories i don't think she's ever more than like set dressing but you know i just thought it was notable that we get somebody who's going to be with us for the rest of the run here 
but yeah, this dude's heart rate keeps climbing no matter what they do, and you know they try shocking him, they try using a pacemaker, but it's like up in like the two, like the mid two hundreds, which seems extremely high <laughs> when people start when they start panicking. Usually, when it's like at like one sixty or one eighty or something like that, and yeah, generally anything over two hundred is not good. Yeah, that. Seems like a lot. Uh, but Benton, who has already put in a central line, is going in blind with a catheter, which I feel like it seems like it would be a bigger deal than they make it out to be. It's just like, oh, it's a thing. He did it. Yay. But then, like, Lewis is just like, as like, oh, you're really going to do that without the fluoroscope? And just like, hey, Carter, come over here. You don't see you won't see this every day. And then it's just like after he does it, it's just like, OK, cool. Yeah. Going back again to the, the medical you know side of this stuff you know we actually had jen and i really had a really interesting conversation about this trauma where you know the first we actually rewound it and watched it twice because the first time through she was complaining she was like well yeah he like goes in and they basically take his heart into like overdrive like they push it all the way up to like 300 beats per minute and then bring it back Mm -hmm. down slowly to a more manageable rhythm and when they did that you know of course from there it's like oh great we saved the day you know now he's stable and she was kind of scoffing at it she was like yeah but he's still fucked up she was like you like his potassium levels are going to be all fucked up he's not going to be able to maintain that heart rhythm so i was curious i was like how does that work and so i mean she explained this whole thing to me about like there's these exchanges in the the cardiac muscle between like sodium and potassium and when you exhaust that you know, with this, uh, what do you call it? The, I keep wanting to say EKG, but it's not like the thing they shock them with the paddles. They keep doing defibrillator. Defibrillator. Thank you. You know, as they're doing that, they're expending all of the potassium and all of the sodium out. So there's like nothing left in those cells, but going back and rewatching it, there's a very brief line. And this just goes to speak to like the medical accuracy that this show, like they don't let any small details slip through. Lewis says at the beginning of the trauma, um, when they mention that his potassium is fucked up, she gives an instruction to put him an IV in with, I forget the exact terminology, but she basically specifies a specific way or a specific combination of stuff to go in his IV that is basically going to counteract what they're about to do to him. And I thought that was really, really cool. Like, I thought it was really cool how they were, even the smallest, tiniest little detail, they were just like, we're going to have Lewis say this so that we're covered on the back end when Benton goes in and kicks his heart in the ass. Like, I just thought that was so, so cool. Yeah, they're usually pretty good like that. But then after that, uh, we go back to Doug and still just has absolutely no fucking clue what's going on with his reports. And he just keeps asking for help. And then... I pulled this uh, next clip. It is a little bit longer. It's about two minutes long, but it, there's a lot to talk about with it. So bear with us for a little bit. How's Mark do this with you? He's a machine. You ready for another round? Just, just give me one minute. I knew you were a lightweight. <laughs> it's so great to see you so happy. I never felt like this before. I'm good at something. Franklin loved the rewrite of my zoning opinion. <laughs> they look at me differently now. The other clerks and the secretaries. I like it. <laughs> I didn't understand about you, Mark. How you love to go to work. 
Thank you for staying home today. I'm feeling a little guilty. You're entitled to a day off. You didn't take a single sick day last year. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. Let the machine get it. It might be Craig. You're supposed to give me notes on my new opinion. Sink in here, buddy. Dr. Ross, they're calling about that ship report again. You tell them I will get to it when I can get to it. Mark, if you ever had any feelings for me at all, a glimmer of friendship, then you pull your ass off of that sick bed. And you will get down here and you will rescue me. I am not kidding there, buddy. What is this? What is that? I'm dying here, pal. So if you're awake and you could call me, I'd appreciate it. Pal, <laughs> yeah, feeling really guilty. Mark, how many times did you cover for Doug last year? Eight? Hmm? Ten? Hmm. <laughs> Boy, I sure hope you like panting. Kissing noises are really gross. Mm, that was like ASMR from hell. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Awful, sexy Mark responses. I don't know. It's just, now that you guys have mentioned that, it's just like, when you hear that, it's like, you can imagine Jen being like some sultry, you know, attractive woman. But then you just hear that and you're Anthony like, Anthony Edwards. <laughs> and then you have Anthony Edwards. I know. Dweeb extraordinaire. Yeah, like you just have this bald motherfucker next to Balding. I think my biggest issue with it too is that like I don't buy it. Like I don't buy that they like each other enough to do this. Like they've been shown to this point to be very dysfunctional and very like they can both be kind of selfish and like just not to say that like I I believe that they've they don't love each other or you know that they I don't know like the whole thing just feels very like forced. It doesn't feel like an organic thing between the two of them. Like it just feels like it's there for the sake of being there. And I don't know. It just, just doesn't work for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, it's weird. It doesn't really, it's one of the things that like this storyline just does not fit. I don't think it would fit in any episode, but especially this episode. Oh when you well, have yeah. In context, it's awful. It's dreadful in context, but yeah, it'd be weird anytime. But the one thing I actually really did like was what Jen said in the beginning of the clip, how she actually gets it now, like why Mark wants to work all the time, why he doesn't mind doing all this extra stuff at work, like his day is a genuine passion about what he does, that she gets that now, which I think is really important. Yes, I would agree with that. That is the one redeeming aspect of this whole interaction. <laughs> like, that's the only thing that you can take away from it positively. Yeah, and I just wanted to give the give our audience an, an example of Doug being flustered. and. If you ever had any feelings for me at all, pick up the phone. Yeah. I'm going to start using that on you. Swear to God. <laughs> anyway. So then we're back to Carol and Jamie. And Jamie's lit up a cigarette and is smoking and crying. And Carol's like, hey, can you put that out? She gives her a little like bedpan to put her put it out. And I think it's actually in... What's the term? Emesis for the basin. Basins. 
thank you. It's actually an Emesis Basin. So she puts out her cigarette, and Jamie just still kind of in that stream of consciousness is just like, have you ever been raped? Like, has it ever happened to you? And Carol's like, no. But Jamie goes, my mother always said I was asking for it. And Carol just very calmly explains to her the procedure of the rape kit. And Jamie's immediately like, you mean a, do- a doctor is going to touch me? And Carol's like, nope, it'll be me and another nurse. We'll just do a couple photographs, a quick swab, comb for any pubic hairs. We'll be with you the whole time. Just trying to really keep low and slow with how she's talking to Jamie about all of this. And Jamie's like, Jamie's just worried what her boyfriend Jack is going to think and worries that he won't believe that his friend did this. Mm. So just such an awful shift Yeah. from the misplaced Mark and Jen nonsense. Yeah, I think that's my biggest problem with this episode as a whole. It's just a tonally inconsistent clusterfuck. Yeah, and they keep following up Mark and Jen with Carol and Jamie. Like, it'd be one thing if they were trying to, like, intertwine these things and, you know, there was some separation with it where it was intertwined with, you know, Doug's thing and, you know, Lewis and Div and the usual shit. But, like, I mean, it it would never be good, but... It's particularly jarring and particularly upsetting when it's directly contrasted with one another. Like you go right out of Mark and Jen into Carol and Jamie. And I don't know what kind of point they're trying to make here. I don't know what kind of like, I don't know if they just didn't think about it or if they're actually trying to make some kind of fucked up macabre point here. And I just don't, I don't get it. I think they just didn't think it through. But anyway, another hard pivot here. We go uh, back to Halle and Mookie. Uh, and she reintroduces him to Benton, and Benton assigns Mookie the un- unenviable task of cleaning out the fridge from hell. And Mookie is, of course, rightfully disgusted. He's like, what am I, a janitor? And Benton, with the line read, Benton's line reads in this episode are so good. You know, he immediately claps back with, you know, what did you think you were going to be doing, brain surgery? Like, it was just, mm, chef kiss. Yeah, like, I want to be able to eat my Sunday dinner off that. Yeah, Benton just uh, low-key MVP in this episode. Really, really does good. Benton and Doug. Yeah, I think I have, I think the next, I think all three of the next clips that I have are Benton. Benton related. I think so. So, so then you go right back after that to Carol and Jamie, and Carol is, again, just trying to make her feel as safe as possible and sort of, like, as covered as possible, and... This actress, her, she does, like we said before, this, the whole thing is weird, but not because of the actress and how she, and who's playing Jamie. And she's doing it really well. Like, she's had such a good, like, in shock trauma response acting. You know, she's just sort of, like, laying there while Carol's doing the rape kit. And for reference, if anyone is wondering what we're talking about, a rape kit is basically what the collection of samples that you would take of DNA evidence that you would take and that would get processed by a lab uh, with law enforcement and be used as evidence in a potential arrest and or trial. But yeah, so Carol's getting these samples and the actress just like, you know, why am I doing this? If I wanted my name in the paper, I would just go kill myself. Like, jeez. <sighs> but at the same time, okay. Yeah, that's probably a response yeah i don't know where i'm going with that but (laughs) i think you're trying to say you have not necessarily been through this and and you would not necessarily know how you would respond to that and it's a valid trauma response 
yeah to such a violation yeah because i've had my 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 own personal run-ins with with sexual assault myself but it, it was not as violent as this one appears to be and my response was not like this so after this, we see Carter um, talking to a guy who's wiping his hands clean. Looks like he's a me- like he's a mechanic, and he's taking care of Susan's car. And he goes, "Oh, um, you know, isn't isn't Doctor Lewis going to be paying for this?" And Carter's like, "No, I've got it." And we see him pull out a credit card, and this is the first hint we get at Carter's true backstory. That's true, yeah, and then, yeah. And he's like, "No, I got it." And the guy's like, "Oh, she must be pretty special." She's like, no, nah, she's just a friend. But um, Carter's looking for studio apartments and one bedroom, and yet he just whips out his credit card to pay for a mechanic at work. Yeah, like, for two hundred bucks. Yeah, which no, is nothing. Which is nothing to sneeze at at any point, but especially in nineteen ninety four. Like, if he's as hard up as he's made it seem, he would be thinking twice about just whipping out a credit card to pay for a car fix. So I noticed that. That yeah, he's got his beat up Jeep to have his poor boy disguise that you <laughs> mentioned, but. He's whipping out a credit card to pay for a mechanic fix for a coworker. How do you do, fellow so, pores? <laughs> someone that he doesn't even know that like that well. He's like, no, I got you. Um, then after that, we go back to Jen and Mark doing what Laura. I think it was Lauren that mentioned it earlier. The more like the tropey things, like where yep. Mark is just sitting in like a swivel or a sort of a, a reclining swivel chair, and Jen sitting on top of them and eating like is she chinese like, i think yeah she's eating chinese but then there's like a, some jello in there or she's like gummy no yeah it's jello because no, there's it's, like some it's jello. jello it's probably chinese restaurant jello which my experience is basically just rubber cement with food coloring i've never had chinese restaurant jello yeah i cannot say that's never been a thing for me all either. the buffet like chinese restaurant buffets when i was a kid they all had two things that made no sense jello and pizza both were weird and also kind of good like it's hard to explain We'll take your word for it. Yeah, I've only ever gotten soft serve at the buffet places that I've gone to. Anywho. But yeah, so Doug calls and Jen answers the phone thinking it might be... Her co-worker. Yeah, her co-worker. And she's like, oh, oops. And Mark is like, trying trying to fake sick, but Jen is doing the cliched, oh, I'm going to distract you, I'm going to smooch you, I'm going to... Feed uh, you Chinese food. Yeah, I'm going to put food in your face and... Yeah, stuff like that. And Doug obviously very quickly figures it out and has that very signature Clooney laugh that he's established at this point that I cannot do justice even if I tried. We just need a clip of that for any time. (laughs) To drop in. I could make that happen. I will consider that. This would be a great place to get it from. Yep. But Carol asks him, you know, what's funny. Actually, I think this is Doug and Carol's only interaction. It is. And it's it's nice. Yeah. And Doug just, you know, uh, keeps chuckling and he just goes... Mark is very sick at home with his wife. <laughs> and Carol's just like, oh. And, and I love while they're on the phone and Doug's like, oh, Jen's home? You haven't seen her in what, two weeks? Three in weeks. Three weeks. <laughs> All right. Feel better, buddy. Mm. Like, just. And he seems considerably less mad about having to do all the paperwork. It's like. Yeah, my bu- my buddy my buddy needs good wingman code. So from there, we go back to check on the kid from earlier, who I think it's established when they bring him in for the trauma that he's a wrestler, that he he's a high school kid, and that he 
passed out at like wrestling practice or at a wrestling meet or something. So we've, we've at least established that to this point. Um, so Carter goes to check on him and when he gets into the room, the kid is like fully doing like sit-ups on the gurney. Like he is actively working out after just having like a major, essentially a heart attack. And Carter is like, dude, what are you doing? Like, stop. And so Carter kind of smokes it out immediately that what this kid's problem is, is that he has been fasting to make his weight uh, for wrestling. And he's been kind of doing like the yo-yo dieting. And and essentially it, it kind of they get to the fact that this kid is essentially anorexic, which is another really kind of cool sort of touch that they would explore the idea that young men and and men in general can suffer from anorexia too that that's not a you know a strictly female problem like that's a that's an issue that can plague anybody you know and carter talks to him he's like he says that he wrestled when he was in school which i don't believe for a second but he says that he wrestled in school and that you know he knows what it's like to try to have to make weight all the time and you know just carter does a good job here in the short interaction and the kid does a good job too i thought you know he once kind of he he puts on a brave face at first and he tries to laugh him off he's like nah man i'm fine i'm in great shape and you know carter kind of pulls it out of him and he just kind of starts to cry and it's 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 a really good scene um the kid who plays the wrestler uh his name i think his name in both in character and his actual name is michael um but the the actor's name is michael manasseri who two things about him number one his last name contains the word manass which uh, I just felt was, you know, appropriate to, to note. And then very second of all, he has a very unremarkable IMDb. Like I found nothing on his IMDb that spoke to me in any meaningful way, but maybe somebody else out there has seen him in something. But what I did find interesting is that on his ER credit, he's listed for two episodes with the same character name, which leads me to believe, mm. and they're both listed as 1994. So that would be this season. So I'm thinking we might be seeing Michael come back uh in a future episode but i have no memory of this character beyond this episode so i'll be interested to see how they reincorporate him you know if they ever do hmm all right and then we get walt wheeling in mama benton we fi- we get to meet mama benton who for the first is time. precious Ooh. she's adorable and i love her and we find out that the reason that she had had issues in the other episode that we had heard about was because she had a stroke and that's why she has good days and bad days. Sometimes she's got a little bit of senility going on and isn't always quite with it. Like, And she, I think, fell and hurt her foot? Or her foot's been hurting? Yeah, like her foot or her ankle or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, she, spra- she like sprained an ankle or something okay. like that. And Benton's like, why didn't you take her to Mercy? It's a lot closer. And Walt just claps back with, I thought you might want to take care of your own mother. Ouch. And then Benton passes her on to Carter and is like, oh, this is Carter. He'll be able to take care of you. And she's like, this is classic. She's like, Carter, do you have people in Tennessee? And he's like, yeah, some, I think. And she goes, I think she whispers over, I think to Walt. And she's like, I think his people owned our people. (laughs) You come to Thanksgiving dinner now. (laughs) And just like totally like. Just like the sweetest, like, oh, that was a thing. (laughs) Like, uh, she's, and the actress just nails yeah, it. Yeah, before I forget, uh, I forgot to mark it down in the notes. The actress who plays him, or, or who plays Mama Benton, uh, her name is B, uh, I'm gonna butcher this. It's B-E-A-H. So it's either B or Bia. I'm not sure. 
but uh, Richards is her last name. And she has an absolutely fascinating filmography. Like, if you go and look her up on IMDb, she's got 76 credits to her name as an actress. Her most famous role was in the 1967 film Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which okay. was. It, oh, yeah, okay. which it's about a uh, interracial dating couple coming together and, and having to be introduced, having to have the person of color introduced to the conservative white parents and it was unfortunately remade years later by Bernie Mac and Ashton Kutcher but that's fine she just has a really like fascinating story she didn't start acting until she was um, in her like mid to late 30s and she then she had like a Broadway career and had TV roles had film roles obviously and I mean just a really really fascinating lady unfortunately of course as you might expect with her being elderly here and a 25 year old show she is no longer with us she passed away in 2000 but she was Mm -hmm. acting all the way up until the year she died she had a a one episode role on the practice in 2000 what a badass just a really really sweet lady I love her as mama Benton and then you know as at the tail end of that little scene Carter finally asked uh benton to go up to the or with him because benton's like oh i have i have to go do some procedure i forget what it is but yeah and benton says you know no and benton just gives him a round no and gives him six other things to do instead still doing all this gut work for after how many months has it been now probably like six yeah at least probably i don't know Again, the ER timeline is very screwy. And a small note, or small thing that I noticed, I believe the ER is on the first floor, right? Yeah. Traditionally, ERs are. So, (laughs) yeah. So, in the elevator, there's a dude in a gown on crutches that was just on the first floor elevator. Didn't walk on with Benton. Was just there and was not making a move to get out of the elevator. <laughs> maybe he's the elevator operator. Like maybe it's uh, you know I don't know. Yeah, I d- I don't know, but but I I would just like to know his backstory. Like where I... did he come from? Why is he still in the elevator? What is happening? I just have to say this extra is really adorable. Like once you pointed it out, I was paying a lot of attention to him when we rewound it and rewatched, and he just does such a good job of like kind of keeping his head down and then looking up at Eric LaSalle and then putting his head back <laughs> down, just kind of like, like a little old man would do. And it's just, it's, I, I just shout out to that extra. He's great. Yeah. But Carter actually like looks pissed that Benton just rebuffed him so hard on that. Yeah. It's the first time that you really see Carter look like resentful of Benton's obstinance. Like, Carter, to this point, like, he has taken every bit of Benton's shit with, you know, a smile. Like, he's done everything Benton's asked him to do. He has jumped through all the hoops. He has tried to make nice with Benton, tried to be his friend, and tried to, like, relate to him on a personal level and break through that icy exterior. And you can see this little bit here of where he's just fed up with it. Like, he's like, dude, you're supposed to be my teacher. Like, you're supposed to teach me something and let me learn and he's just not doing it and it's it sucks yeah but patience young carter you will get there we promise um so many good things are waiting for you yes and some not so great but we'll get to those in like 12 seasons oh god (laughs) oh actually no in six seasons my bad that the first really bad one and then after that we cut back to the nurse's station um and i think it's like 
Halei, Doug, Jerry, and Jerry Susan. and Susan are all like, and Halei comes up and is like, hey, we got the Starzl Fellowship not- notification, you know, saying who won. And then they're just, then they open it up and they're like, oh, better not bust out the champagne. And right. then Benton walks by and was like, oh, well, what's up, someone die or something or something mm-hmm. like that. Like asking why Who's they're all. Who's funeral or something like yeah, that. Some, yeah. yeah, some some joke like that. And then they and then he sees the note and sees that Benton has, in fact, to no one's surprise, not gotten the Starzl Fellowship. It has gone to Ms. Langworthy. His nemesis. He tries to play it off immediately, but you can tell it fucking crushes him. Like you can tell like he's it, it bruises the ego a little bit for him, but he tries to play it off like, oh, she's a year ahead of me. I, I, didn't, I wasn't going to get it. And then we, again, go back to Mark, uh, to Mark and Jen. In the tub. Yeah, this time in the tub. Again, Ugh. fully just going along with that 10 Eastern, 9 Central time slot thing. So uh, naked. Yeah, and then probably the weirdest interaction that they have throughout the entire episode. And, you know, they have a lot of weird ones, this one. But I think this one takes the cake. I forget exactly what they're how they talk about it, but... Oh, they're talking about like oh the seven year itch like you know the urge you get to cheat after so after so long is that what that is yeah that's what that is oh today i learned yeah a tendency to stray after seven years i guess some conventional wisdom thing i don't know it's bullshit yeah so they're talking about the like that and then mark is just like you know i don't really think about anyone else it's only you and jen's just like ah what about susan lewis <laughs> in that exact voice. That's what it sounded like in my head right. when she said it, because that's the way it kind of comes across. And just like Mark's, just like we're just friends. What? Oh, like what is this? Are you projecting on me or something? And like the whole thing just seems like, dudes, you've been fucking for the entire episode. Why are you talking about this? Like it. Blo- it. It. Lo- it no, no, go ahead. I just have no. I can't even remember what got them to that point in the yeah, conversation. Exactly. I, it just seemed, it's just out of fucking nowhere. Is this also the interaction where she asks him, where else can we do it? Like, and he... Yes. Eh, eh, mm. Just, eh. There you go. There you Bleh. go. That's what it is. Thank you. And he's like on the kitchen table. And then she says something like, about his grandmother your, um, or something. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. She goes, she goes, <laughs> wasn't, oh, she goes, wasn't that your grandmother's? And he goes, worked for my grandpa. Ugh. <laughs> I forgot about that. I You're blocked welcome. That out. I blocked that out. I hate you. <laughs> and then they make out. Mm-mm. <laughs> Alright, let's go. He's like, that's how I'm here, now kiss me. Yeah, Alright, moving on. On to the next. So, Susan has an agitated patient with a bleeding head. He's like, in pajama pants and a trench coat, screaming, being held by two cops. Like, you can't hold me, this is a free state, let me go, let me go. Like, just freaking out, clearly upset. And... Susan asks Lydia to get Div down to examine him for suicidal ideation and depression because clearly something's wrong with this guy. Like, it's more than just a bleeding head. He's clearly upset, clearly not reacting well to authority. Like, he needs he needs to be talked to and made sure he's really okay emotionally. And just quick note on him, actor's name is uh, Benjamin Mountain or Mooton? I don't know. He's not super prolific either. He's got bit parts in basic instinct and falling down so you know probably really good at playing frustrated white people but uh yeah that's about all i got on him um and then after that we get uh this interaction between benton and langworthy (laughs) 
How long are you going to pretend I'm not here, Peter? It's fairly self-centered of you, Sarah. I'm working. Yeah. Oh, um, congratulations on the, uh, the, uh, Starzl. I'm sorry you didn't get it, but I'm glad I did. Would you rather someone else had won? I really wasn't that invested in it. You wanted me to lose if you couldn't win. Peter, I'm a year ahead of you, and I could help you be a better surgeon if you'd let me. You know what your problem is? No, but um, I have a feeling you're willing to tell me. Losing to a woman. Oh, come on. Uh-huh. The truth is, you want to sleep with me. Then you wouldn't be so threatened. sleep with you. I've never even fantasized about it. Obviously, you have. Yeah, can we get a list of uh, burn centers in the United States for <laughs> Dr. Langworthy there? I mean, the first half, she's absolutely right, though. That's 100% what it is, though. He's totally fucked up because he lost to a woman. She's got him stone cold there. But he recovers nicely because, damn. Yeah, his, his, pride, his ego is wounded because he lost to a woman, but not because he wants to fuck her. Oof, like, she had him on the ropes, and then he just comes firing back with the left and the right. Like, woof, damn, Benton. Which, yeah, good for you, Peter. But also, good for you, Langworthy, for trying to get for trying to get some. Yeah, she went for it with full confidence and recovered nicely. I was going to say, yeah, and she gets, like, verbally smacked down, and she kind of is, like, she's definitely taken aback by it, but it does not take very long for her to collect herself and huff away. Like, she is, like, she's not, like, oh, like, she, th- that did not shake her in any way. That was just, like, a, no. okay, well, fuck you then. Off I go. Yeah, I love how she's, like, yeah, right. And then we go back to Div has come down to examine Mr. Randall, Susan's agitated uh, head injury patient. And Div is clearly still agitated and still upset and we still don't know what's wrong with him. And this guy's just shooting shit at him and just being real, real rude and not listening to anything he's saying. And Div is clearly going through the like normal healthcare platitudes like, oh, you know, This'll pass, blah, blah, blah. and But he's clearly with that very, like, nah, nah, nah tone. Like, he's just going through the motions. He's fidgeting and still just this little ball of old man stress. And Mr. Randall eventually tries to throw a punch at him. And he just commits Mr. Randall for 72 hours as a vindictive punishment because he can. And he walks out of the room and Susan's like, what the hell just happened? Did you do a full psyche vow? And or he's like... I, he was drunk. I didn't need to. He's a pathetic drunk. Like, what do you want? He should just be committed. Meh. And the look on his face, too, when he says, well, I committed him. Like, he gives almost this little smirk. Like, you could tell that he totally did that just out of vengeance. Like, he just felt like taking out his bad day on somebody else. And, again, I'm torn. Like, I know that this guy's headed for a brick wall, and I know it's not going to be good. But at the same time, I also fucking hate his guts, and I kind of... It's what he deserves. So, you know, uh, torn. Yeah, and then right after that, he just immediately switches and is like, so what you doing later? You want to get some Italian or something? 
and Susan gives him the exact right reaction of just like a what the fuck are you on face and you know walks away from him just without saying anything yeah but like how about Italian how about fuck you yeah and then we go back to Carol and Jamie except this time uh, we are just looking at Lydia for a second Uh, Lydia tells Carol that the rape kit results have already come back and that there are uh, four sets of pubic hairs total. You have Jamie's and then not one, not two, but three other peoples in there. So, yeah, that's what you need to make the storyline better. Not only was she violently assaulted by someone she thought she knew, but violently assaulted by three people. Yeah, and Carol drills her for more information on what the hell was really going on. Yeah, was really going on. Carol comes busting into that room with a full head of steam. Like as soon as Lydia tells her that there was, you know, that what the results were, like she just goes barreling into the room, and she's like weirdly confrontational with Jamie. Like I'm sure that it's just that she's upset at the whole situation, and it like her emotions get the better of her. But it is such a weird, stark tonal shift for her from where she was earlier in the episode where she was so comforting and so soothing and so nurturing and here she's almost like a it's almost like an interrogation like she's like what happened you have to tell me what happened and blah 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 like it's so different from how she was earlier in the episode and I I don't know if I like it yeah I don't think that that's the way to go about this like I think you still could have been soft and nurturing Carol and still gotten what you needed out of jamie and there would have been a lot less crying jamie's like trying to piece together what happened because she clearly doesn't remember fully and she's you know she's like one of her todd's and he had two friends there i didn't know them and then we were all drinking and i was drunk and there was these guys and i was pushing todd away and then she starts bawling which if you're trying to piece together what happened to you last night and then something clicks something like that Again, appropriate reaction. And then she just insists she doesn't remember anything, as if she's trying to convince herself she doesn't remember it. Yeah. And then after that, I think we completely whiffed on... I had not noted him earlier in the episode because I didn't think he was going to be a big patient. Ah. Shows what I know. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, earlier we kind of totally whiffed on Doug's patient for the episode. A young kid uh, with, you know... Who has a really sore throat? He says hasn't really been eating because he said it hurts really bad to eat. Uh, well, that kid has stopped breathing. Super cute kid too. Yeah. Yeah, and we we're. I was actually watching for some Clooney cheat sheets in this in this one because there's a lot of close-ups. I still didn't see one. Yeah, I thought I saw one, but it was just the. Ba- it turns out it was just his badge. So I was like, oh, I see something with text on it on the table, and then no, it's just his badge. <laughs> I, I love the way that they go into this trauma, too. This is something that they would do from time to time. Like, they definitely did a lot of the traumas going on in both rooms thing, where they would follow a nurse or they would follow a doctor back and forth between those uh, swinging doors. But I particularly like the way they did this one, where it was like a crossing transition, where they let Clooney know that the kid stopped breathing, I think. I forget how it starts, but they let the kid uh, let him know that the kid stopped breathing and they start to follow him down the hallway into the trauma room. And just as they're about to get to the trauma room, a gurney just crashes right in front of them and goes into the trauma room directly ahead. And then they start kind of looking at that for a minute and Benton's involved and Benton's going back and forth between both rooms. And it just, again, highlights that kind of 
controlled chaos that is the ER. Like there's always something going on in the next room, no matter what you're doing in this room, there's could be something is equally dramatic going on just feet away. It's so, so good. Yeah. And then Benton quickly takes care of his patient with a simple needle in the chest and Carter's just sort of hanging on to it. And so, and they don't really ever explain really what's going on with Benton's patient, but he sees Doug struggling and Hale, uh, Doug is really just can't intubate this kid like because his his throat is like pretty much all almost entirely closed up and like so he sends Halei to get to the next room where Benton is to get another smaller ET tube you know smaller breathing tube and you know Benton's like well what's what what's Doug got, uh, got going over there and you know Halei tells him and then Benton just completely unwarranted jumps in to try and help Doug and he's like oh I can just do this procedure and Doug's like no give me a second and you know this kid has stopped breathing entirely and they say he's been down for two minutes and you know while Doug is still trying to do the intubation Benton just jumps in and does and uh, does a needle crike and just sticks a needle in this kid's neck to make a hole in it and to get him breathing again and Doug just sort of flips out on him because like dude what the what the fuck dude like a why are you even here b why are you doing this to my patient when i said, clearly told you no yeah when i clearly told you that i have it and that kid is blinking and moving his mouth the entire time <laughs> it's so distracting like every time they go to a close-up of the kid even when they're criking his uh his throat like he's like doing the thing of like where kids are like trying to keep their eyes closed like i imagine they must have had a nightmare with this kid of like close your eyes buddy close you got to close your eyes like you got to keep your eyes closed and he's just like trying so hard but he's just a little kid and he wants to fidget. And I just, I think it's so cute. So yeah, the kid's going to be okay. And then immediately right after that, we get Benton and Doug on the roof. So, which I pulled the clip for. So here it is. You lose a fellowship, so you have to prove something. Dr. Benton, otherwise known as God. You couldn't get the tube in. Doug. I had plenty of time to crike in myself. Oh yeah, another 90 seconds. That kid's brain would have been exactly mushed. exactly right. 90 seconds, and it's my choice. Oh yeah, well, the kid's alive, He's isn't my he? patient. Oh, so it's okay if he dies, right? Oh, so you're the only person that can keep him alive. It was a judgment call, Doug. One I should have let you make. You lost a fellowship today, Peter, not a patient. You know what I look like in there? Hmm? In that interview? I made a fool out of myself in front of Morgan Stern. Saved two lives in five minutes on a bad day. And just a little note about that clip. Um, there was like... 30 seconds of dead air where they're just sort of like staring at each other of just them staring at each other and not talking. So if it, if you hear a little jump in there, that's why. Was that a different roof? Yes, that was, uh, well, it was the same. I think it was the same roof that Carol and tag went to, but it was mm -hmm. not the helipad, which I, su I suppose you would want the helipad to be in a different area of the roof or maybe even a different height on the roof than where people might be. So I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, it is a big hospital. Yeah, I could see there being multiple multiple accessible areas of the roof. I don't know. There wasn't really too many geographic markers for me to look. Because I did take a look behind. Because I'm always curious about this stuff. 
the majority of the sh- the show too was shot in California too. We should point that yeah. out. Like they would go to Chicago like a few times a season and do like on location shots like uh, what we got a few episodes back with um, Mark and Doug on the bridge. Like they would do stuff in Chicago a few times a year just to have it for establishment. But the majority of the stuff we see is shot in California. So it wouldn't surprise me if they weren't even in Chicago for that. Fair. Quite possible. But there's actually like, it's actually weird to see a bit of humility on Benton's part there. Yeah. I actually really like it. Humility looks good on him. Looks better than being an obstinate jackass. Totally fair. And then just dug with the fire and brimstone, like, like, God damn it, he's my patient, you know, like taking just complete ownership of it. And I don't know. I think it's a good, um, a good interaction between two characters. We don't really get to see A, interact a lot and B, really come to blows a lot. It helps build a history between the two of them and say like, no, these two do know each other. They do work together. Like... Doug does have an opinion of Benton. This is what it is. <laughs> Dr. Benton, otherwise known as God. Just put that on his tombstone. Right. Like, so like, I think it does a really good job of just kind of building a character history and fleshing out some, some relationships that we might not have otherwise seen before. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, but then after that, we go back to uh, Carol and Jamie, except Jamie is nowhere to be found. Uh, Carol is taking the cop in to get a statement from Jamie and... Carol's just running around looking for her and Jerry's like, oh, she just left. Like, do people not just pay attention and like <laughs> say like, hey, this person came from a patient room. Maybe I should ask them. This is Jerry we're talking about. I love Jerry. Team Jerry all the way, but we've established Jerry's not the best desk clerk. <laughs> well, that's fair. Well, that's also one of those things where it's like, is it really his responsibility to know if somebody's been discharged? I'm not saying that it's his responsibility. I'm just saying it, it seems like it's a recurring theme that people just tend to piece out AMA right. with that out of here with, against medical advice. So you think that there would have been a little bit extra training at this point. You'd think. But it's Jerry, so who knows? Okay, so Carol's out looking for Jamie, and we switch over back to Mark and Jen, and there begins to be a chill in the room. They've both got their bathrobes on. Mark's like, oh, you know, your mom should be here soon with Rachel. We should probably get dressed. Just They're just kind of like winding down from their day of frivolity. And the phone rings, and it's finally this co-worker that Jen has been talking about all day. And she immediately like gets up, gets the folder out of her briefcase, starts talking to this guy, and immediately launches into work mode. And here... I noticed Mark tries to do the fun little thing that she was doing earlier where he tries to give her smooches and, like, be in her space, and she completely freezes him out. Yeah, her phone etiquette standards are not consistent. One would even call them double standards. Oh. Are we fully back in the uh, Jen sucks timeline? Yeah. I don't think we ever left that timeline, honestly. Yeah, I don't think we did. I think they wanted us to, but... Yeah, I mean, we were we were becoming more understanding of her perspective over the last few episodes, but... No, I just think that she's kind of, like, ruined that here. <laughs> like, you're back to, like... I can understand her perspective and still think she sucks. Totally fair. Yeah, you can still sympathize with her, but think she's a terrible character, and can't wait till she leaves the show. Ugh. Spoilers! Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I know, that's, right? Anyway... Like, that's not intensely obvious at this point to anyone with half a brain. Speaking of uh, new new people introductions, uh, okay, we get Bob now. 
Yeah, this seems early for Bob. I knew Bob was season one, but I didn't think it was first 10 episodes season one. But we get Bob. I, I forgot about Bob. What about Bob? What she uh, she plays a much a much a bit of a bigger role later on, but now she's just being introduced as this sort of semi broken English speaking Eastern European, yeah, probably. yeah, Eastern European, yeah. very small lady. Isn't she like a volunteer or something, or like a not a clerk, but a um like an orderly, like something yeah. like that. Like she she like changes the beds and stuff like that. Like she yeah. does like the the grunt work. Yeah, she so, like the brown scrubs. I was going to say, and yeah, she has a very long name that I, I didn't even write down because I was not going to even try to pronounce it. But And then Doug's like trying to try to pronounce it too. I was like, eh, how, about, how about Bob? Bob sounds good. <laughs> and then Mookie comes in and is like, Bob, see? That's cool. And he's like real warm to her. And I think it's really sweet. Like it shows a kind of like sweeter side of Mookie than what we've seen. Not just trying to sugar talk Halei, not just trying to like smart ass with Benton. But he's just like, yeah, that's cool. Like, just being real supportive, and I like it. So, Bob is arguably the most significant thing to come out of this episode. Because we've, we've established at this point, this episode's a fucking mess, and there's really not that much that you need to pull out of it. But Bob is really interesting to me. So, when I was watching this show last year, uh, first time through, spoiler, you know, Bob is a character who's here for, with us for a while, and then Bob just kind of disappears, there's not really a big resolution to Bob as a character. Bob just kind of hangs out for a while. I'm not even sure how long she's on the show. It may be, I think she survived season one, but I feel like she might disappear sometime in season two or three, but it's very early and, you know, relatively speaking in the show's run. So I was like, it was a few episodes after the fact. And I was like, Oh yeah. What the fuck happened to Bob? So I was like Googling and trying to figure out like, you know, what happened to this character. And I actually stumbled across, I guess, what would be the early internet equivalent of like a message board of ER fans. And I wish I had like kept the link to it because I've, I haven't been able to find it since. But it was, this was stuff like from the era. I want to say the posts I was reading were from like 96, 97. And huh. there was there was actually an official term amongst ER fans for side characters who would be introduced, play a semi-significant role for a period of time, and then just sort of fade away into the background. And it was that they got bobbed. And <laughs> so I feel like that should be our official term as we go forward for people who just show up. They're significant for a while, and then they just kind of fade into the background, and we never see them again, and we never get an official resolution to their storyline they you know so-and-so got bobbed i think that's I... that's her most kind of significant contribution to the show unfortunately is her Sounds disappearance good to me. fair enough yeah and then after that we get a little resolution to mr randall he is very much sobered up and susan just basically just springs him from uh the psych ward because she realizes this dude doesn't need to be committed for 72 hours like he was just drunk in kind of a bad place he doesn't need to be committed and just has a nice little warm interaction with him and just jokes with, jokes with him a little bit and just tells him, just get a cab, go home. He just seems very, very grateful. And then after that, uh, I got the last clip that I pulled for the episode. You know, nothing like super notable about it. You know, we just keep talking about Ving Rhames. So I figured, you know, let's get some good, let's get some good dialogue yeah, from have, him. Have we mentioned that Walt is played by Ving Rhames? Yes, we have. Okay, I didn't remember if we had talked about it. But yeah. Just wanted to showcase a little bit of Ving Rams and give him some love. So, here we go. Hey, Walt. Hey. 
That car trouble? No, I um. No. Ask me a wrench, will you? Five eighths. Man, would your dad be surprised if he could see me now running this business and you a surgeon? You hear about that fellowship thing today? Yep. Well, if you got it, I'd hate to see the look on your face if you didn't. Yeah, well, I didn't get it. <laughs> no kidding. You know, Walt, man, it's hard to lose. Yeah, well, most of us are used to it. See, your trouble is, Pete, you got most of what you want. And when you don't get what you want, it hurts more. Yeah. So is that wrong? It's just a little selfish. Got a hard shell, Pete. You don't let anyone in. Just like your dad. Wouldn't worry about it, though. Basically a good guy. Give me a hand with this. I, before we go into the actual, like, meat of this interaction, I want to point out, we hear it pouring rain outside. You see it pouring rain outside. Benton walks in from outside, bone dry. That's the magic of Benton. Like, he's... His 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 salty exterior is so thick that it just soaked up all the moisture from the rain. No, his majestic jerry curl in Coming to America soaked up all the moisture in the world. And now Was he in Coming is... to America? Yes, he's the boyfriend uh in he's You're the right. asshole boyfriend in Coming to America, the soul glow with the the most majestic of jerry curls. You were right. Oh my god, I totally forgot. Yep, and I fucking love him. And that that movie is absolutely fantastic overall. Anyway, but I'm so sad that he's not going to be in the sequel. Like he's already announced he's not going to be in the sequel, and it's just it makes me sad. I didn't I even know they were doing a sequel. Yeah, I completely forgot they were even doing a sequel. Anyway. All right, kids, we're on the home stretch here. Oh wait, we so we should actually probably talk about that interaction though, if there's anything else to say. I don't know that there's anything to talk about. Like I said, there's not really anything like meaty to it or like really relevant. I just wanted to give Marcellus Wallace a little love. <laughs> I will say this. I do really enjoy Walt when he is on the show. And I really wish that we get to see more of his character because he does help kind of bring a more human empathetic balance to Peter. We mm-hmm. kind of get an insight to where Peter's coming from on a lot of things. And he's really one of the few people who will actually talk straight with Peter, which is exactly what he needs. Ving Rhames and, and Eric LaSalle, they've got a good chemistry together on screen. Like, they interact with each other well. It doesn't feel like two actors working together. It just feels like two guys talking, and it, I enjoy it. Shooting the shit. Yeah, they feel like family, So, which I, which I feel like is not easy to pull off. So I'm glad that they're able to. Then we start, when we finish off the episode with Carol and Jerry headed out, Jerry has another cigar. So that must just be, you know, an every shift thing for him. So, hey, got to keep with the traditions, I guess. Jamie is uh, across the street near a chain link fence and hanging out there. So Carol goes over to her and Jamie is just like, my boyfriend doesn't want me to come home. You know, he doesn't believe me. Maybe I could have fought harder. I let him do it. A lot more of that sort of self-blame that she was pouring on earlier. But then Carol, bless Carol, you know, she says, you know, you said no, didn't you? You know, you have to finish this. You got to take care of things. And if you don't, then they come back they always do so basically like encouraging her to follow through with 
trying to get her boyfriend probably arrested and tried and not her it was her boyfriend's friend i thought it was her boyfriend no it was her boyfriend's friend picked her up duh okay and two of his friends, her her boyfriend. It's wasn't weird involved. because the whole time she does speak about it in very plain terms, but she never actually like, you know, not that I want them to like illustrate any of the things she's describing, but I don't know. It's just they're always referred to in very familiar terms because they're familiar to her, but they're not familiar to us. So it's very confusing, and I just, I'm just glad we're done. The whole thing was weird, and yeah, like I said, easily my least favorite episode so far so we'll hope to rebound next week all right well that about wraps up our episode for today uh thank you all very much for listening you can find us on twitter we are at set the tone er we are also on facebook at facebook.com slash setting the tone podcast and we are at setting the tone podcast on instagram you can also support us on patreon at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast you can help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows including a special season recap episode uh, that we'll do about twice a year with the pace we're going. Um, and also a monthly bonus show where we just sort of talk about what's going on in our lives, talk about current events, talk about what movies we've seen, video games we're playing. Yeah, just casual stuff like that. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at uh, dan.u, that's y-o-u.el, as well as on my other podcast, The Popular Court, that I host with my co-host Jake Terrell. Uh, we are getting, I think, if my math is right, I think the day that this drops uh, will actually be our uh, one-year anniversary of hey! TPC. Yeah, so we'll be doing a special episode for that. Um, not entirely sure what that episode is going to consist of yet, so stay tuned for that one. But a previous episode that you'll be able to download by then and listen to is a criminal trial of new metal. Uh, we're going to put basically like 1999 <laughs> on trial. And you didn't invite me. Wow. Well, we haven't officially recorded it yet. So, I mean, you know, get get <laughs> get in my DMs, Lizzie, and we'll talk. <laughs> I'm out. I fucking love new metal. Don't even. Um, you kids. It's so good. I'm also so white. <laughs> it's good that you know those two things. Yes. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at lobob92345 not like i post much other than shitty memes and mcelroy content but i'm there hey you know everyone's got their thing um i am also on twitter my personal twitter is at random gamer that's j-a-m-3-r um and thank you again very much everyone for listening uh please join us again next week for episode number nine called er confidential and thank you and have a great week bye